one of the nation's most remarkable capital campaigns and what we can learn as we raise money for our nonprofits. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school and I'm joined today by Jenny Clark. Jenny is the Associate Secretary Emeritus of the Smithsonian Institution. The Smithsonian has been around a long, long time, but it was only in about the last decade or so that they decided they needed to have a capital campaign. They said, Jenny, you're in charge, go raise money, and Jenny and her colleagues raised $1.8 billion to strengthen that national and international treasure headquartered, of course, in Washington, D.C. Jenny, after all of those years, why did the Smithsonian decide that time was right for a capital campaign, and how did you have so much success? Well, thank you, Bill, and it's great to be here and great to be at uh, the Lilly School of Philanthropy today, so it's wonderful. Why did they decide to do it? Well, I think it was the fact there's um, they realized that the federal resources that were going to support that had been supporting the Smithsonian was not going to be there forever. In mm-hmm. fact, it was starting to go down. Had a new secretary coming in who came from higher ed and said, "We need to bring the private sector more into the institution, mm-hmm. and we need." resources that are flexible, that are imaginative, that are going to make the Smithsonian better than it is today. And so the time was right. Uh, How long was the campaign? And was there one theme? Were there many themes? What was your strategy? The uh, campaign, we had two years of the quiet phase Mm -hmm. and then five of the public. Okay. And it was interesting developing the strategy because when you're at the Smithsonian and you have 19 museums and six research centers and a zoo, mm-hmm. you know, how do you find those really um, transformative, emotionally gripping themes and specifics that you need to accomplish? And what we ended up doing was we had this anachronism that, that the campaign was about STIR. Okay. And it's spark discovery, tell America's story, inspire lifelong learning, and reaching people everywhere. And those were themes that every museum and every part of the organization could articulate, could own, and translate. Ginny, a lot of times with capital campaigns, folks are looking at their current donor base as a starting point. How robust was the donor base with the Smithsonian Institution since there has been uh, such a strong amount of federal dollars over the many, many years of the institution? Good question. The first question may have been, or could be, do we know who our donor base is? Okay. Because it was small, you know, and we had, in one way, we were collecting names because we had about two million names that were Smithsonian Magazine. Mm-hmm. supporters and people said oh well that's what our donor base was going to be so we needed to work on identifying who is our donor base and where where our potential donor base is going to be and so it was pulling together this great big family of people that knew and loved the Smithsonian and trying to then begin to narrow that down into people that were really going to stay engaged with us. And from what I understand from reading national news coverage of this wonderful success that you've had, that you really tried to uh, you know, serve different levels of donors in different ways. Certainly the folks who could write a six or a seven or perhaps even an eight-figure check, everything as I understand it, to school children who could crowdfund to preserve Neil Armstrong's spacesuit and yeah. all things in between. What was the strategy there as you tried to appeal to that large number of people? Yeah, we, well, we first, just like any, any campaign, you start with the people that are closest to you. 
um, for a number of reasons we did it. One is because you wanted to create that momentum and really have that um, you know, vision that we have people and they want to support us. Mm -hmm. The other practical thing is we were staffing up. We added, I think, uh, over 60 people in two, day, two years. Wow on a base of about 50. So we really expanded. So we were staffing up, we were putting in a lot of infrastructure. And as you know, those broad base outreach programs require a lot of support, a lot mm -hmm. of back office things. So we knew we had to staff up, we had to get those big gifts, transformative gifts in at first and create a, a, a support staff and a network that could then reach out and do some of our crowdfunding things that we did. How did you make your case for support? In our short time, even just right now, you've mentioned two key themes. One was the decline in federal financial support. The other was this wonderful image of STIR and what that acronym stands for. Uh, did you lead with STIR and also include the information about the federal dollars? Was it? reversed? Was it different for every donor? How did you folks make your case? Well, we did have to start with the fact that this, what we described it more as is this is a public-private partnership. Mm -hmm. And that was something that resonated with Congress because they understood that. They wanted to see us raise money from the private sector. We wanted to recognize and acknowledge that the role that the federal government really played. I mean, mm -hmm. they are our good friends, yes. right? And so people understood that, that what their role was, which is to help on the private sector. And so we, we started with that and sort of said, look, we're a public-private venture here. We've been here. We are America's museum. And we reach everybody and do all of these things. So it was you know, a combination. We didn't spend a lot of time because, on the public-private because we really wanted to hit the emotional tug for people. And that was a compelling case right. for the campaign. Right. Now when we teach capital campaign fundraising at the fundraising school, uh, we talk about our founder, Dr. Henry Rosso, said that the board of directors, they are the first donors and they are the first fundraisers for the entire organization, including with a capital campaign. Now as I recall, the board of the Smithsonian Institution is very unique. Yeah. I believe the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court, yes. the Vice President of the United States, these folks by statute are on your board, right? Right. Um, what was the board involvement in this campaign? Well, it, that's a great question and you really hone in on some really interesting parts about fundraising for the Smithsonian. Not only do we have the Chief Justice and the Vice President, three Senators and three Congressmen, okay. but we have nine private citizens. Okay. And those nine private citizens were very crucial for us. And in fact, some of our largest donors happened to be part of those nine private citizens. So, so they were definitely willing and ready to step up and help us in that way. Yeah, and we also know just whether it's the local county, let alone the U.S. Supreme Court, our judges are prohibited with a lot of the funding that they can do for our nonprofit sector for reasons of obviously staying objective in their, in their full-time day jobs. Um, so uh, this went along. What were some of the lessons that you learned? We've talked about, you know, who are our donors? Can we identify them? We've talked about a theme. We've talked about making our case. We've talked about board engagement. What are some of the lessons that all fundraisers can draw from this remarkable story? Well, I think there, was, there are a couple of things. One is, as an institution, and uh, we, 
there's always that drift towards just talking about dollars and numbers mm -hmm. and forgetting about the real mission and purpose of the campaign. So I think uh, we were, as leaders, we're always re trying to remember and bring back that emotional tug and that mm -hmm. mission and purpose. And then also being able to articulate it in terms of dollars and donors and numbers because you also, as you know, you know, you have the guys that are the women and men sitting around the table that go, yeah, but tell me about the numbers. Yeah. And then you have the people that just want to be inspired, yes. right? So it's always that balance. And I think one advice is always remember that balance. Hmm. And that's also the right thing when you have volunteer fatigue is hmm. get them back to remembering what this is all about. And the other part is reminding them what we have accomplished and what they have accomplished. The other important thing is getting those volunteers doing big and little things. You know, do, let them do the easy things, the thanking people, mm -hmm. the writing the notes, giving them the recognition they deserve for the work that they've been doing. And then the other part is it's a long game. Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. you're in for the long haul and you've got to steward donors in the long haul. And it's not, thank you very much, Bill, you gave me a gift, we'll come back to you five years from now. Yeah, staying in touch with that good stewardship moving forward. Uh, we talk a lot about giving from individuals. Individuals are about 85% of charitable giving. Did you also approach foundations and corporations as part of the campaign? Yeah, it, you know, we thought we were gonna get about 50% from individuals, 25% from corp, and 25% from foundations. Okay. And it just ended up to be about that. How about that? So I don't, right. Great planning. Mind. Right, right, right. Yeah. But you know, the corporations, it's interesting and um, is the roles that they played in various parts. So when we were raising money for the African American Museum, mm -hmm. our corporations and foundations were some of the first that were at the table. Okay. And then the individuals came in a little bit later. For other museums, it was those individuals that were sitting around the table, they came in with the okay. first gifts. Different for each of those different units right. within the Smithsonian. And then lastly, Ginny, we teach when the capital campaign is over and successful, let's celebrate. What kind of celebration was there at the end of the successful $1.8 billion campaign? You know, by being the Smithsonian, there were no shortage of options of places you could go and ways you could celebrate. It's interesting what, um, what we did was did, we did something within the mall where mm -hmm. all the museums yep. are and brought all the volunteers in as you would expect. Mm. But then there was the regional programs where okay. we took out so that we could tell San Francisco what role they played in the campaign and what did Chicago do. And, you know, and here are the people that you brought to us with your gifts of fellowships and, and endowed positions, et cetera. What a great way to celebrate a spectacular campaign for a unique, spectacular organization. And from this podcast, you can see and hear why Jenny Clark is a national and international expert on fundraising, giving us good lessons that all of us can learn from the successful campaign at the Smithsonian Institution. And of course, you can learn more from our Capital Campaigns course at the Fundraising School. It's one of our 17 public courses. We're in 18 cities across the United States uh, and very easily accessible to wherever you live, especially in the continental 
48. Uh, we have custom training that we can bring right to you. We have our quarterly webinars, these free weekly podcasts, and a wide range of other information and resources available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu forward slash the fundraising school. You can also go even deeper with our online master's program. And if you give a thumbs up on this podcast, it'll help spread the word to other fundraisers. I'm Bill Stanjakevich, and now you are now more up to date on this first day from the fundraising school. Thank you.